Hello, this is Keith Larson, editor of Control Magazine and ControlGlobal.com. Welcome to this Solution Spotlight episode of our Control Amplified podcast, sponsored today by Masa Products Corporation, a leading designer and manufacturer of ultrasonic and sonar instrumentation. With me today is Don Stancavish, who serves as both Chief Operating Officer and Chief Innovation Officer for Massa. Welcome, Don. A real pleasure to have you with us today. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Keith. It's a great opportunity to be here today, so thank you. Glad you can join. Um, Don, you have a, a unique connection to Massa Products Corporation, one that goes far, far deeper than punching a clock and collecting a paycheck. Um, by way of introduction, maybe you can tell our listeners a bit about yourself and how you came to assume a position of both technology and business leadership there at, at Massa. Well, sure. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Uh, my my maiden name is Massa, mm-hmm. so I'm actually third generation here at Massa Products Corporation. But, you know, growing up with, with this family business has been kind of interesting because I, I had a little bit of the um, inside knowledge throughout my life, the kind of learning through osmosis that a lot of people don't have that opportunity in terms of uh, learning about a business in terms of learning about technology as well. Um, so it was always uh, a part of our family, uh, the business itself and, and the types of uh, things that we do here. Um, my grandfather started the company in 1945 and he also used to live across the street from us. Mm-hmm. So I knew him very, very well and he was a very vibrant personality. So I was able to always ask questions about anything I ever wanted and, and joke around with him and know him in, in very well. And we used to have you know lunches in at the plant and uh, he'd love to show me around. And my grandfather and father both worked together here and my father is president and CTO. They both were engineers. Mm-hmm. Here's the funny part, though, growing up with this, I did have all of that inside exposure to how things are on, on a, I guess, a, a different vantage point. Mm-hmm. But I uh, didn't go exactly um, following in their footsteps. I decided when I was um, in school that I was trying to differentiate myself, especially in the teenage years. So throughout high school and college, I I kind of did a lot of uh, different types of studying. I studied everything from photography to psychology um, and business. So I I kind of, uh, I did a little bit of engineering in college as well, enough to know that um, my strong suit really is in the understanding of what we are capable of, but more so in developing where we could possibly go with new ideas opposed to actually creating the products themselves. Yeah, I mean, it does take different perspectives on things uh, to to be, and a more diverse set of perspectives certainly seems to be more more successful than having just a bunch of engineers. Not, not, I mean, I am one, I can say that, but (laughs) I know what you mean. Yeah, you know, it's it 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 was really valuable experience because I studied so many different things. I had just joined the board um and after working in different uh fields and I found that that perspective was very valuable because I had also studied a lot about this field and I knew about our business and looking in at that level, I was able to identify areas where the business really needed some of my skill set to, to kind of tie in different pieces of what what we were doing and where we were trying to go. 
Yeah. Oh, that makes so um, it, it was great that I had the experience of the engineering and it was also really great that I had the other perspectives and the other skill set because I was able to tie stuff together mm-hmm. and I use today everything that I ever studied mm-hmm. because as COO, yeah. I have I have sales and marketing under me. Right. And we do a lot of the advertisement and, and that draws sev- heavily on, you know, the art stuff that I've studied as well as the marketing things I've studied and, and mm-hmm. the psychology. Right. Them running the business, the psychology is just as important for tying everybody together from a cultural standpoint and aligning the strategy of where the business is going with what we're doing internally. And as far as the creative side with new product development and understanding what customer needs are and understanding what we can do from a capabilities and engineering standpoint, it's really great for identifying how our core capabilities align strategically, both with our business plan, but also with customer needs. Yeah, I, I, I want to focus a little bit about the kind of the history of the company, because I think it really uh, differentiates Massa from just a just another sensor company in a lot of ways. Um, became an independent company uh, under your grandfather's leadership more than 75 years ago uh, during the Second World War. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about the precipitating events that had your grandfather striking out on his own? Yeah, definitely. Just this is a fast, abbreviated Cliff Notes version because it's a very long story. Yeah. He um, graduated in 1928, Swope Fellow from MIT. My grandfather was uh, an Italian American. He was born here, but he learned English by going to school. And he um, he graduated with honors in 1928 as an Italian in Boston, which is really amazing. And Mm -hmm. what he found through his journey was that if he just focused on the things that he was really good at, which was just naturally finding solutions within engineering problems, people would listen to his ideas and see him for for what he's capable of. And he was recognized for his mind. So he went to work at Victor Talking Machine, which later merged with uh, RCA. So first it was Victor Talking Machine, then it was RCA Victor, and then it was RCA. Mm-hmm. And in that time, his first job was to get rid of the hand crank on the um, Victrola, the uh-huh. old record player. And from there, uh, as they were developing and merging with RCA, there were a whole bunch of um, amazing engineers that were collaborating and they became like a think tank. Yeah. And they developed all kinds of new products uh, in the audio side of the acoustic industry. Mm-hmm. But they for the very first time in that time frame, we're applying engineering principles to it. So it, it was the development of the field from an uh, engineering applied science standpoint right. and electroacoustics uh, as an engineering science was born. And my grandfather co-authored the first textbook with Harry Olson in 1934 um, called Applied Acoustics. So from that group, he also got involved. He became the head of government sound where he was doing different developments for various government projects like, you know, telephones on ships and things like that. He also developed and patented the very famous ribbon microphone that uh, everybody knows as um, the iconic uh, symbol of, of from the 30s of yeah. what the microphone is, yes, exactly. and they, that was still the symbol through the through the 50s. 
So lots of people have gone back uh, and, and used that, and that actually revolutionized the entire recording industry. He worked in, in the sound department there developing speakers, microphones, and loudspeakers for um, movies because in the Great Depression, the, uh, the movie theater switched over from being silent films to talking pictures, and his group was the only group that wasn't cut in the engineering side because they were developing the the sound for the movies. And when no one could afford anything, everyone could afford going out to the movies. And it was a nice escape from whatever troubles they were experiencing on a daily basis. So as time went on, um, he left, he ended up uh, leaving RCA and and going over to Brush Development Company, uh, where he was the head of engineering. And while he was there, that's, they were first just doing a whole bunch of, you know, car radios and pickups and and all kinds of things mm-hmm. <laughs> that depended on vacuum tubes and his one of his friends from RCA had gone off to join the war effort and remembered him and his his capabilities within the sound industry and they were trying to figure out how they could put something in the water to hear uh, and locate torpedoes coming at ships during World War II and uh, the word didn't exist at the time hydrophone but yeah. Basically, they were trying to develop a hydrophone, <laughs> yeah. and what they had done was basically soundproofed the microphone for use in air and stuck in the water and were kind of wondering why it wasn't working. They sent it to him because he said, he, my grandfather, and he said he'd be able to take a look at it. He got it, knew what to do, but at the time, business at Brush was really strong, and his boss didn't want to do anything with the Navy because of all the red tape and how long it would take, sure. and so... He felt bad for his friend, redesigned it on his own, sent it back, and then time goes on. But then the war effort continued, and they cut vacuum tubes, which is what they were heavily relying on for most of their products, and so much so that they were figuring out how they were going to let people go and close up shop and what they were going to do. And his friend happened to call back right in that time frame and said, hey, guess what? that thing you sent me works perfectly. We can pick up the torpedoes. It's fantastic. So my grandfather negotiated over the phone, you know, the equivalent of like a $10 million contract in $1945. Yeah. And, that, and not 1945. I'm sorry, this is before that because it was during the war yeah. um, and before he established our company. So um, he, he negotiated that contract, went to his boss and said, hey, you know what? we could either close up shop or we could go into business with the Navy because I just have, I, I have this contract. And they said, okay. So then at Brush, they were the main place that did all the designs for sonar transducers throughout World War II. And they um, quickly designed them and put them into production. So he, he learned a lot both at RCA as well as at Brush about the importance of production engineering and the importance of collaboration and the importance of speaking up when you know what, what a good idea is. Yeah. So, so he took all of that and he founded Massa Products. Actually, it started as Massa Labs in 1945 because uh, after the war was, was over, he wanted to go out on his own. And um, he had this dream to, to develop something on his own. So first he started consulting for five years. Mm-hmm. He started the business in Cleveland. And then in 1970, I'm sorry, 1950, he moved to Hingham and built the building here that we still are in today. And uh, we design, engineer, manufacture all in-house. Gotcha. 
like it seems like that that model that your your grandfather established of really design driven innovation and customization based on really talking to your customers is that's really what still drives the company today isn't it absolutely um you know and finding solutions that really aren't aren't there like if something's not cutting it in the field we want to understand why and that was something that allowed us to establish ourselves and set ourselves apart uh, through the the 50s and, and through the 60s and uh, in, in the 70s and then um, again in the 80s <laughs> and then, and then it, yeah every decade it would shift and it'd be different products different innovations and then you know we did go through a couple hiccups at various times within there was one time in the 70s and another time about you know i'd say about it started maybe about 10 years ago but until about three years ago uh, we had a, a little bit of an issue with management not quite understanding that founders mentality mm -hmm. but every time that some Something like that happens. We we've come back and and uh, overcome it and changed and gotten back on track and that's really the foundation of who we are. I mean, there's not many companies that have it within their their mission and their vision to continue to make the world better through advancing the technology itself and and uh, improving the entire field opposed to just whatever their localized business is. Sure. Can you maybe share an example or two of um, your design development philosophy and how it's solved a, a measurement challenge for on behalf of one of your customers? Yeah, I'd like to give some more recent examples uh, opposed to historical, even though it's, sure. oh, there, there are tons of historical ones, but I can speak more fluently about the ones that, that I have been involved with firsthand. Being a company that does both work for the military as well as work for industry, we we have um, an interesting business model where there's certain things that we can talk about and certain things <laughs> that we can't sure. on both sides because of confidentiality and IP and, and things like that. But I can give general overviews of general issues. On the military side, we've had situations where sometimes what has been wanted um, has not been an ideal solution. So we've worked within contracts to find new solutions. Okay. And we've always enjoyed working very closely with, with the Navy and, and things like that to, to figure out how we can improve things. And being a smaller business, we're able to act quickly and they generally like that. Yeah. On the commercial side, especially uh, where this audience is um, living, <laughs> we have done a lot within water and wastewater Mm -hmm. um, and processing uh, in terms of listening to issues that people have had. And we have sold a lot business to business, but we like to understand the end users issues. And occasionally we do get to do business with the end user th themselves. And mm -hmm. when we have that insight, that's ideal for us because usually what's standard and offered out in the market is not the perfect solution. Usually for either the reason being that they have to buy lots of different products for repeatability or different technologies to just make sure that they always have something working or to overcome different problems that they're having. 
like uneven surfaces or foam or you know other issues that they may be having. Um, one of the things that we've worked with people a lot about is uh, understanding the right pairing for transducers uh, if it's a ultrasonic application, ultrasonic product. Having the right product go in the right environment, having mm-hmm. them understand what's where it's mounted, whether it's in a tank, what else might be in the viewpoint, um, what type of materials uh, the products are exposed to, speed of sound, the shift when it comes in contact with certain types of materials, whether it's uh, if it's an in-contact sensor, it, it changes its general operation. It has to be a certain type of transducer for that. If it's in the air, you know, sometimes fumes can affect it, temperature variances. Mm-hmm. But if we understand what those things are, we can make sure mm-hmm. that they're using the correct product and um, help them troubleshoot. Or sometimes we do workarounds or modifications to, to better fit their specific application. And that overall saves them a lot of time and money mm-hmm. because they're not um, wasting time with a cheaper product that they think is going to give them their solution, but they end up having to throw it out or buy lots of them or they it's not mm-hmm. a warranty or they're having all kinds of trouble. Yeah. We've also, we've worked with various types of businesses as well. You know, there's process controls, there's li- liquid level, there's We've done everything from uh, distance measurement at, at different rates and speeds, different levels of accuracy, you know, collision avoidance. Mm-hmm. We, we, we've done so many different types of things that we've, we've really enjoyed understanding all the different things that people are trying to uh, <laughs> achieve and how, we're, how we might be able to, to fit their needs. Another example that I could talk about is that... Uh, Sometimes it's just something really simple, like our technology was able to, um, it, it all gives waveforms back that we we mm-hmm. are able to analyze and assist people with. So sometimes we're able to help them identify what they're seeing and, and adjust the, we're able to adjust our products to do the more fine-tuned sensing that they need. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think that they need narrow beam angles when they really don't. They just need to understand what the product that they do need. Right. And uh, another example is we had uh, just this week a, a situation with a customer um, that's purchasing one of our new products that happens to be undergoing a certification right now. And we're rushing the certification to meet this customer's deadline, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have another product that is already certified to meet the needs. But what we did was because the product that we have was going to be delayed because certification sometimes takes time. Yeah. Um, and, and this customer understood that. What we did was we found a workaround. So we took our existing product that is already certified and we modified it so that from a customer end use standpoint, it would operate just like the product that they're getting. So they have a product to tie them over until our certification's finished and then they'll get our new product and we'll swap it all out and we take care of all of that for them. So they were very thrilled with that solution. No, I can imagine. I can imagine. Have any of these, you know, unique applications where you've worked with, um, with with specific customers turned into, oh, we can apply this much more broadly and become more of a general product across your per- portfolio? Oh, yeah. You know, there's always something that you can take and think creatively and, and look at different markets and see where things can go. And I think that's been one of the more fun aspects of what I do <laughs> is that when I talk to people about what what we can develop and we have, you know, several customers that were under 
mutual non-disclosures with that we're developing new products for. Mm -hmm. And we often will enter an exclusivity agreement for that specific product, for that specific customer, for that specific marketplace. But that doesn't mean that there aren't other things that we're learning about the development of the product that could be used in a completely different manner in a completely different market for a completely different application that has nothing to do with what what we're agreeing to with the customer. For example, if something happens to be developed uh, that's supposed to be very, very specific uh, and it has to withhold, you know, a a performance in very difficult conditions, Mm -hmm. what we get out of that we could learn from it and, and apply it to n- other types of um, applications because our engineering team is designing and developing for every situation that we do. We have the same engineers that work on the government programs that we do on on the um, commercial programs. So we learn a lot through all of that in terms of how to design a real rugged, robust quality product that could operate in various environments and do so well with high quality reliability and repeatability. I was um, thinking that uh, the fact that you have the engineering and design and manufacturing there under one roof, which is kind of a rarity <laughs> nowadays, that, that I think that's that probably is very helpful in, in helping to uh, uh, create solutions that really uh, last and are reliable and, and function out in the field. Yeah, it definitely. That's an important core philosophy of, of how we do business here, because that was one of the most important things to my grandfather when he started the business. Um, and that was passed down. And my father um, strongly believes in it, as do I. And we train all our people to work well together for that reason. We need to have interdepartmental collaboration and good communication, you know, and Larger companies, often what happens is there's a lot of turnaround employees. There's different departments in different locations. So it's very much removed in terms of when you come up with an idea to when you end up with that finished product. And for us, we've really narrowed our our strategy to be more focused on what things we do, what things we do well and expand our our business based on that core philosophy and being able to have the control from design through production every step of the way is is what has also allowed us to maintain our footing and our longevity of over 75 years now as one of the industry leaders in this type of product. Yeah, um, level really is, I mean, that's a big category of what you do for, for process manufacturers, certainly. But it's really not the, the, the only thing that electroacoustic technology can measure. Are there other phenomena of interest to process industries, process manufacturers that, that um, you can discern with uh, electroacoustic technologies? Yeah, you know, I, I think that there's a lot more out there that ultrasonics and sonar could, could be used within that entire industry we're we're still trying to to learn new areas where it could be used and um that comes from really customers telling us what what they want and what they need and learning about different markets but it's it's used in liquid level as well as um uh you know some some we we don't particularly do a lot in flow we have some some things are used Mm -hmm. that way a bit 
um, there's a misconception that, well, it's kind of funny because there's ultrasonics and there's sonar, right? So uh, sound is a medium and it travels through other mediums at different rates. So if people don't really understand mm -hmm. that technology, they don't really understand where else it could go. And sometimes if you're just looking at what's out there off the shelf and you try to put it in a certain environment where there might be a lot of foam or there might be really uneven surfaces, you might think, oh, geez, I don't want to even bother trying ultrasonics because right. it's, it's, it gives me trouble. But there are some workarounds to those types of environments and situations, and we have um, had some success in, in those areas. So yeah. uh, we have products that work work well with uneven surfaces like our flat pack, and, and that's used in multiple types of, not just in mm -hmm. water and wastewater, and not just in flow and not just in uneven surfaces in, in this field, but in others, you know, it, it's been able to, to work for, for customers all over the place. So, yeah, I would imagine that the, the fact that the speed of sound is, is sensitive to the media that it's in that right there can tell you something about the process in a lot of cases of what's, what is actually there, not just, just the level, but, but what's in the intervening space as well. Yeah, definitely. We can learn a lot about what a material is doing within the process with our products. Mm -hmm. um, we've talked to people about that. We've worked to different degrees with, with that, uh, not just in process control, but even like more in the oceanographic side as well. You know, we can tell a lot about what's happening with our products. All right. That sounds good. Well, just to shift gears a little bit, the process industries and Technology suppliers, too, um, have really been disrupted by the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Although it looks like, knock on wood, things are, are, are looking up. To what extent has, has Masa's business been affected and what steps have you taken to ensure that the customer's needs continue to be met? Yeah, that's, that's definitely um, an interesting question given today's world. I don't think anybody's <laughs> could could ever imagine <laughs> where we are right now, uh, but we've been very fortunate here at Massa, um, being that we do the sonars for the Navy. Mm -hmm. um, we've been fortunate enough to remain open as an essential business throughout this pandemic. Mm -hmm. So I've been able to really view this whole problem of business during a pandemic from a very different perspective than most other people that I've talked to. Mm -hmm. You know, aside from grocery stores, construction businesses, and, um, you know, healthcare, a lot of places went completely remote. We never did. We manufacture. Mm -hmm. So, Manufacturing remained open throughout the whole pandemic. We had some people go remote for a little while. Most people are back uh, 100% now. With the vaccine coming out, it's even more promising to, to have more people returning. But most of us are here. We really, I, I can count on one hand the amount of people that have to still be remote right now. And even those people, most of them come in part-time. So being a manufacturer... And having that Navy business has made us stay on top of what the CDC guidelines are mm -hmm. very, very strictly. And I check it every week, you know, what's, what's going on. We've been fortunate to have zero transmissions on site as well. And out of all of our employees, 
there's only been a couple cases of COVID and it did not happen here on site whatsoever. And that's throughout, you know, for this entire past year. Um, Yeah. So we've done really, really well, thank God. And, um, you know, we've, we've put up safety protocols. We, we distributed and provided to our employees masks and PPE and sanitizer. And uh, we, we increased our own facilities cleaning to daily right back in um, I, I started doing that before things closed down. I wanted to, to increase the cleaning because I was concerned with, you know, just seeing what was going on on the news and stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so we, we have been really up on social distancing, masks, sanitizing, um, cleansing, surface cleaning, bathroom cleaning. Yeah. Um, on on a daily basis in some areas more frequently because everyone's provided their own mm-hmm. supplies of extra cleaner for wherever they frequent just mm-hmm. to make sure that they are comfortable and safe. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, clearly Massa continues to work with your clients to find new applications for electric acoustic technology. You're, you're a chief innovation officer, so from your seat on the leading edge of innovation, what um, what sorts of new developments and applications do you see coming in the future from where you sit? Oh, well, I I see a lot of um, a lot of new products coming in very different types of fields. I, I see a lot of potential collaboration with other companies where we have our strength of being the the experts in the uh, electroacoustic technology. Mm-hmm. Um, we like to partner with other companies that have a strength in something that's non-competing with our technology, but works well with our technology so that we could figure out new ways where we're, we're in a mutual uh, beneficial situation where we're helping them <laughs> fit a customer need and better than they could without us. And they're also helping us uh, learn more about where our, our technology could possibly go. So I see a lot more of that happening in the near future. Oh, great. Well, great. I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to share your perspectives and wishing you uh, continued success for another uh, 75 plus years uh, there at Masa. So congratulations. Thank you so much. I want to say thanks also to Masa Products Corporation for sponsoring this episode of the Control Amplified podcast. And most of all, to you, our listeners, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and will consider subscribing at the iTunes store or at Google Podcasts. Plus, you can find the full archive of past episodes at controlglobal.com. Again, this is Keith Larson signing off. And thank you again, Don, for for joining us today. Have a great day and uh, stay safe, everybody. <music>